Another episode of the ISO on the Gonzaga Nation Media Network. Dan Dickow here is your host. Today's guest, uh, one of the college basketball insiders that you must follow on social media or on cbssports.com. Matt Norlander. Matt, thanks for joining. Uh, it's a pleasure to be joining with No Lie, one of my favorite college players of the 2000s. So thank you, Dan, for having me on. Absolutely. Kind of dating myself and saying that. 2000s but it, it's it's true you know you, you kind of you look back so many years later and now I'm in a position where I'm calling games you're covering uh the the sport inside and out how did you get into covering college basketball in and some other guys for different networks mm -hmm. uh are as connected as can be uh so nutshell version is um CBS since 2010. Uh, I went to a Division three university out in Connecticut called Western Connecticut State University and majored in journalism there. And uh, I, uh, in 2007, you know, this, which is a generation ago, really, uh, blogs were a humongous thing, humongous thing on the internet then. Twitter was, uh, Twitter, I think, was technically uh, invented or started in 2006, but it didn't really start to find any sort of legitimate legs until 09, 2010. So anyway, um, a lot of sports writing was either done in traditional outlets or independently made blogs. So I started uh, my own college basketball website called College Hoops Journal, which grew to be a, a pretty well-read independent site. And then through that, and then I got a hired part-time to write at Yahoo. I was also a sports editor of a couple uh, weekly newspapers here in Connecticut. I was doing a whole bunch of stuff, like really like 08 through 2010. And then eventually, um, I think because of how much I was covering college basketball as like a you know independent writer, um, CBS started to expand its writer stable. Gary Parrish was the only college basketball writer at cbssports.com in 2010. And, uh, and he was like a traditional columnist then. And they wanted to bring on a team of three or four more writers. So they, uh, they tapped me first for that. And, you know, I've been, I've been with the company basically a dozen years now and, you know, roles have expanded and changed over the years. And yeah, where I was once, uh, basically, you know, the nature of blogging, it's just, <laughs> the, I was writing every kind of small little something that you might dedicate two or three tweets to in 2022, I would dedicate 250 words to in a blog post, uh, in 2010, 2011. And then, uh, that kind of version of the internet started to dissolve away and, uh, did more feature writing and did some uh, plenty more reporting. And now we do a podcast that we do three times a week and do TV work and all that kind of stuff. So that's, that's basically, uh, it in a nutshell, but I've always loved college basketball has always been my favorite sport. So I'm very happy, enthusiastic, and hopefully forever will be to get to cover this sport. Cause it's basically like college hoops, one NFL one, a, those are my two favorite. I, I love all sorts of kinds of sports. I've been enjoying the U S open. I certainly get into college football, uh, enjoy the NBA love covering and writing about the Olympics for CBS, but, uh, but by far my two favorites are college hoops and the NFL and to, uh, to be able to kind of be a fan of one, but then full fledged, you know, objective professional about the other is a, is a cool little gig there. And so, yeah, here we are on the precipice, uh, of, uh, of yet another season. We, in fact, as we're talking here, I guess we're two months out exactly from, uh, from the first night of games in the, uh, 22, 23 campaign. Yeah. I, I, I'm looking forward to it. Obviously, you know, I'm starting my early prep, at least for the WCC. I'll get into the Pac-12 and Mountain West stuff probably in the next couple of weeks. But um, 
when when you go from an independent and there's lots of really good independent guys out there now i follow them on twitter to to help me with my prep but when you go from independent to now aligned with a company like cbs do coaches take your phone call quicker now when you're at cbs than they did before does how does that kind of respect in the industry change or how did it maybe change? Uh, it for changed you? Uh, certainly a little bit early on. Um, I was also wasn't when I was doing the independent stuff, I, I wasn't actively seeking to make connections with a lot of coaches. There were like a couple that maybe I'd made contact with like basically over email, like almost cold emailing them from uh, what their email was on their site. And they were, you know, that was mid-major coaches. Uh, it certainly does help. I will say, and I've, I've mentioned this before plenty of times in radio interviews or on the podcast or whatever, one of the things I love about uh, college basketball, and I, I base this opinion uh, going off of what other writers and other sports have told me, there is no major American team sport that has a, uh, a more open line of communication between its media and its head coaches, the men's college basketball and football. It's way different. Now there are some reporters obviously who have good relationships with college football coaches, but that group, uh, it tends to be much more paranoid, closed off, not as available, tougher to get to many more walls to climb NFL, forget about it. Right. Uh, professional sports. It's not that those lines aren't there with the media and the coaches. They are, but in college basketball, it's extremely free flowing. And part of that is because so many of the coaches, either assistants want to move up. They understand that if, uh, if they make themselves available to the media, that usually can only be a good thing while the media, I do, I do think college basketball media does a good job could always be better of holding uh, coaches accountable. There is a job to be done here. Um, uh, you know, the nature of having so many schools, you know, 360, we're at 363 division one schools this season. There's too many in D one. That's a whole other deal altogether, but you have so many coaches at smaller institutions um, and there's always a fight to get your team. If you're not one of, frankly, if you're not one of 15 to 20 schools, like getting your team to get written about, talked about, it's tough. So one way to help with that is to, you know, to be a, a kind of a coach that gets it. You know, if, if, if a media person happens to reach out uh, to want to talk on record, off record, uh, that certainly helps. So uh, yes, uh, being at a major media company absolutely helps. I'm not going to say that it doesn't, but I will give coaches credit for the most part, not all coaches, but many, many, most, there are still some sitting head coaches who I think uh, might be a, a little too stodgy on when it comes to this, but college basketball coaches, you know, they, they are not going to uh, discriminate too heavily, particularly now in 2022 against uh, a media person. If they have, you know, if they're in it uh, and their motivations are proper, um, you know, if you're an independent reporter, writer, podcast, podcaster, there, there's a chance. It depends. Like, you know, for example, I know we'll stick with Gonzaga here for a second. Like if there's a, a dedicated uh, podcast, and I know there are uh, to, you know, there are multiple to, to Gonzaga basketball. If, if you're, you know, if you're covering it legitimately, responsibly, like it's not to me, it's not uh, unthinkable that you could get you might be able to get Mark on the horn. I think, Dan, you can probably get Mark, <laughs> but I'm talking about like general uh, podcasters or writers or or any of the assistants. Right. They're all they're all reachable in their own ways. And they sh and they should want to be because they want to you know talk about their program, get it more out there. Um, Gonzaga is almost, as you all well know, it's, it's, it's entire situation is different from any other program in the country. 
because of the nature of uh, how good the program is and the league that it plays in, plus where it is geographically. Gonzaga is a fascinating program overall, and, and it's incredible that uh, that Mark's been able to do what he's been able to do there. So I've been a little long-winded here, but yes, uh, there was a little bit of a, of a change once I got to CBS, but uh, coaches, for the most part, I think they're willing to uh, to engage and and to uh, to respond, uh, provided timing is right and the reporter or reporters in question are uh, you know if they're doing the yeah. job legitimately, then then I, I see little reason why uh, those kind of people can't be reached. So, is there maybe one coach that is possibly over the top with promoting their their school and trying to get out in front of? as many media publications and and outlets over the top in promoting good question who would that be and it can not necessarily even like a negative um how about let's see what are some of the coaches who are uh, some of the most available and wanting to kind of promote their schools bruce pearl at auburn that's so funny because that's the guy i had in my head yeah bruce pearl yeah we've talked on a, a couple occasions been prepping for games um, yep. But he is uh, he's as good as they come that I think as far as, you know, promoting the Auburn brand. Yeah, I'll give you a few. I'd say Bruce. I'd say Scott Drew at Baylor. Um, I would say Eric Musselman at Arkansas. I would say I want to give you one or two more here that are particularly good about kind of getting out there. Mike Bray at Notre Dame is pretty good. And then who's the number five coach I could give you here. That's pretty good at it overall. Oh, Hmm. There's a lot of good ones. I'm just trying to find like a particular, I could give you Todd Golden at Florida, but he just got there. I did a whole deep dive. That was a fascinating Golden article. I, and I've, I've gotten to know Todd over the last few years when he was at USF. Course, yeah. And I think he's going to do a great job at, at Florida. Um, how did that article come about? Because if I remember correctly, you spent like four or five days in a July evaluation period, traveling all over the country with them while they're figuring out recruiting, evaluating, going back to practices. How does, how do you get that kind of access and how that, that work? Well, okay. So there are a couple of things that go into that one. Uh, when we got to about mid-May, you know, I'm starting to look ahead on the calendar, the summer stuff. What are we going to do every year um, when COVID isn't impacting it? Uh, you know, I go on the road uh, once or twice to these recruiting events where all the coaches are. Again, speaks to the sport and the coaches. Like that, that thing doesn't exist in the same way in any other major American sport. Yeah, I guess if you go to the Super Bowl and you're in media, you're going to see some head coaches there. There are other things, but th- we're talking about literally head coaches. Like you bump into them at the Starbucks, you're walking with them into the venue, you're sitting next to them literally for two to four hours, watching a couple of games, talking shop. Uh, It's a real beneficial way of getting story ideas, getting information on record, on background, off record. Um, But I've done the go to Peach Jam, write about a prospect, write about this and that. And not to say I couldn't do it again this past year, but I was like, what's what's there something I could do that could be a little bit different here? So I looked at the new hires and I thought, well, maybe because a couple of years ago, I spent only one day with an unnamed mid-major coach at the Peach Jam, met him in the gym at like 8.05 a.m. and was with them until 10 o'clock at night. And I didn't identify that coach because that way the coach could speak on the record about guys he was recruiting and it really be like, you know, be entertaining, informative. And it was good. And that was uh, that was a fun little thing I did three, four years ago. But I was like, you know what? I want to do one with a power conference coach. Uh, where am I, I'm identifying who I'm with and do it for a five-day period. 
So I looked at all the coaches that were hired and I thought, well, Golden's probably the best one because there's intrigue around him because of how young he is. He's getting the job at Florida, potential to be a top 10 program. Obviously, at one point it was. That's a top 25 job in the country, objectively. Uh, so he's had a big job with a big following. Uh, you know, Mike White left to go to Georgia and I wanted to be able to have the ability to not just be in one place. So I figured Golden would be likely since he was at Florida to at least hop around the country. So I could kind of take you onto the private team plane, show you what it's like to travel, like literally wake up one day and not know where you will be at five o'clock that afternoon. That's kind of the nature of power conference coaching and recruiting in July. And so I went to Golden with the idea. He was enthusiastic about it. Just had to run up the flagpole. Florida officials, thankfully, uh, cleared me to uh, to be on the private plane. That's that's certainly, uh, man, oh man, it's just a, it's kind of an obvious advantage. But once you're actually like living in it, you see how obvious it is. Like how quickly you can get from one place to the other. Whereas plenty of power conference assistants, head coaches at smaller schools, if they're if they're flying, they don't have that agility on a day-to-day basis. They're having to check in and do traditional air travel, sometimes have a layover. Like you still can get the job done. You can recruit, but when you're a head coach at one of these, you know, three dozen programs that have access to a private jet and you can do that in July, it just allows you to get to four or five more games, see two or three more recruits than some of the competition. And that can be a a big time factor there. So I wanted to do something different, something I hadn't done before. And that wound up uh, working out pretty well. We went from Chicago to Atlanta to Augusta. He actually went back to Gainesville to do a practice, an NCAA sanctioned practice, and work out in the middle of this, which was an unexpected twist, but that was a cool thing to experience as well. And you got to, it kind of encapsulated everything about how Golden is approaching recruiting at Florida. And obviously, your audience is going to be familiar with him because of his background at San Francisco. And there's no telling how good he will or won't be. Like, I do think he'll probably work there. I think he's going to have a good run at Florida, but there are some skeptics. Yes. In coaching circles that say, you know, he's been good, but really look at the record that he had in league play. He's still pretty young, uh, taking over a Florida job. There's a lot of pressure there. The sec, the coaching there is pretty big. So I had a couple of coaches tell me like, I will not be surprised if we look up at four years and Todd Golden is not at Florida anymore, but there are others that believe that he is going to be there for the long haul and it will really work. And, you know, I wanted to get an inside look. Here he is first summer season recruiting at UF. And, uh, and that's what that piece was all about. Well, I'm pulling for him because uh, like I said, I've gotten to know him a little bit. He might have the best shoe game of coaches (laughs) in the WCC. Uh, he always would be wearing Jordans on the sideline. Did he vet your shoe choice to get on the That's plane? A great question. He did not vet my shoe choice. His shoes never came up. I was with him for five days. His, my, his shoes never came up. My shoes never came up, but I was just wearing a pair my, I think I was just wearing my, uh, my black sockinies that I like that I run around in like they they get the job done. And, uh, but he did note that, and this wasn't intentional, but he was like, by day three, I'd, I'd either had, because it's summer, so I'm wearing my Beach Boys Pet Sound shirt here too. I do tend to wear clothes that have a little pop to I like colors. The colors are there. Why not use them? So I'd either had a bright shirt or like red shorts one day. And he's like, man, everything you wear, like either your top or your bottom, it's got some sort of like real strong color to it. I was like, it's not always like this, Todd, <laughs> but you happen to be right about that. So in terms of the sartorial aspect, he's definitely in tune with that. Um, but I was, uh, I was naive to, uh, to how deep his, his, you know, dresser drawer closet is in terms of, uh, the Jordan look, I assume it's going to get even crazier once uh, the season moves along. I did happen to notice now that you mention it, 
he was wearing some pair like I am not a shoe guy. Everyone's got that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. uh, like if if as we podcast and you can see like I'm in my office, I've got drum set behind me. I've got guitars. I've got some guitar pedals like that kind of stuff. Big time. It's it's called gas gear acquisition syndrome. If you're like a musician or want to be a musician, you get one pedal and you're like, I got to get another. Then I got to get another. So I get that from a shoe perspective. Uh -huh. But Dan, I've I've always been a guy like, I, I, you know, I've got three pairs of shoes and I'll, I'll I will run in them or walk in them until they're no good. Then I'll get another. I don't need I don't need six, let alone 60. But I understand that there are a lot of people out there that they need as many pairs of shoes as they do T-shirts. And I guess Golden's one of those guys. Yeah, he's he's got the Jordan game uh, down for sure. You grew up in the in the Northeast, so yes. I would imagine you followed the Big East closely. Um, when you look nationally perspective, what's the most underrated league going into this season? Specifically, yeah. Uh, so I did grow up in the Northeast, uh, my formative years in Vermont, and then I've been in Connecticut more than two decades now. But um, going into the season, the most underrated, that's a good question. Last season, if you go by Ken Palm, I'll read this to you real quick here. Big 12 was, not only was the Big 12 the best league, it was the best league in efficiency margin at Ken Palm by more than four points. And it was, that's the second, the big 12 basically versus the rest of the field was the second best conference in a given season versus the second place team uh, in the past 20 years at Ken Palm, the ACC, I believe had a year where it was even better. I want to say 10, 12 years ago. Uh, but I bring that up to say it's impossible to overrate the big 12, I think. And that, conference wouldn't quite qualify the sec was number two a season ago the big 10 then the big east then the acc the pac 12 mountain west american and then the west coast uh going into this season the league that's maybe the most undervalued uh i'm tempted to say the pac 12 only in this regard uh, only in this regard the pac 12 had three tournament teams a season ago arizona hit the one line ukla obviously four and then usc was seven um all three of those teams should be in the tournament mix again. Oregon, Washington State won 22 games. Like, can they can they break through? And Washington, I think, is going to take a big a big jump. And then Stanford is actually the team. I recently did a, a column where it was 68 days until the start of the season. So I did 68 things, storylines, yada, yada to know. And in that, I said the only team that I thought in the entire country with the from a power conference with a tournament drought of at least seven years or longer that I think would end that drought. I'm just going to take Stanford on a whim. So I think the Pac-12 kind of sneakily might be it might be a league where we look up and it's got five or six bids in the tournament. So that might be the one where because you know the Pac-12 had a rough offseason. Yes, um, they have just all across the board. It actually was handed a life raft with the college football playoff and we're gonna have six auto bids. So any idea of the Pac-12 and the Big 12 merging or the Big 12 eating the Pac-12, that's now done. Why would you, you know, why would you do that if you're the Big 12 or the Pac-12? Like you, you're gonna have an auto bid into the big football uh, playoff there. So I think the Pac-12 was spared. And it's been a rough season, but I actually think it's got a chance. Finished six last season in terms of conference strength overall at Ken Palm. I think it's got a chance to be closer to what it was a year ago, a year before that. People may not realize this. The Pac-12 rated as third best conference. And then in the 2020 year, it was number five. It's had some up and down years. It's been six or seven more often than not, but I, I think I'd go with the Pac-12 there. 
Awesome. I love that because I, I call a lot of games on the Pac-12 network. I agree with you with Washington State. Um, you know, I think I called 10 of their games a season ago. They've shown steady improvement under Kyle Smith. So hopefully Coug fans can uh, can hold you to that or yeah. say that, hey, Matt was correct and, and this was their year to break through. You recently uh, released uh, some some great articles in regards to kind of polling coaches of who uh, would be the best player coming into college basketball season. And, and you did it anonymously where, you know, coaches gave you their true thoughts on things. Are those your most fun type of articles to put together? Because when you tell a coach something's going to be anonymous and they trust you, they give you their true spin that you can share. Uh, or do you just like, you know, finding a weekly column and then writing an article on what's catching your eye at the moment. I love it all, to be honest, but those candid coach. So that's a, yeah, we're in the midst of our candid coaches series every, every August. And now into September here, um, we run eight to 10 questions about a variety of topics. Uh, in fact, as we record this, so tomorrow's episode will be, or episode poll question will be, uh, should college go to 24 seconds or stick at the 30 second shot clock? So, you know, be on the lookout oh, that's gonna for that. Because be I've said for years, they need to go to 24. It, it, the, uh, the vote was, uh, the, 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 the responses on that one were great. And that's actually one where that didn't need to be anonymous. Like no coach is going to be afraid to put their name to that 24 yeah. or 30, but best player, which drew Timmy one for a second consecutive season. Although his margin wasn't as big last season, he was like 44% heading into the season. Turns out Oscar Shibwe won player of the year this year. He beat, he beat Shibwe, which I was surprised. I thought Shibwe was going to narrowly beat Timmy, but as a lot of coaches explained to me, Timmy's more offensively dynamic. He's going to average more per game. Gonzaga should probably be in the, probably be in the one seed conversation. And so because of that, they're going to be ranked in the top 10 for the majority of the season. We just like Timmy more, but she got a good healthy amount. And so did Armando Baycott. I love doing those poll questions because one, I try and I try and cycle in personally, Paris and I both um, interview about a hundred coaches overall, but me, uh, I like to bring in like 15 to 20 coaches each year that either have never done it. So we do head coach and assistants really have never done it. Or I, I actually, I track, and we've done this for a decade now. So I literally track every year what coaches I interview. So I'm not asking the same coach two years in a row or the same coach two out of three years. Yeah. So it's either 15 to 20 of these guys haven't done it period. Um, or they haven't done it in like six or seven years. And I, and, and what's funny is a couple of coaches will see the, the, the series go up and they'll be like, dude, where was my, where was my phone call? It's like, hey, I'll cycle you back. <laughs> in 2024 they remember an article that you're putting together and they like being included in it right yeah it yeah for sure and because sometimes there are topics that are like man i i no, i want in like i, I want to tell you that we should go to a 24 second clock or we should stay at 30 seconds and all that so in the off season when college basketball's news cycle can hit a couple of periods for two three weeks where is the dregs and that's fine like I, there's actually something to be said about having a long off season. It gets the anticipation for an actual season, like ramped up to really good volumes and, and hype levels, if you will. Um, these kind of things help, but you know, once we get to the season, we actually have games, we have results, we have things to talk about. There's a, a coach or a player that has a compelling feature story that I, that I want to write about or to write about a column. Like I do like it all, but yes, this particular exercise gives me an opportunity to basically reconnect with 60 to 70 coaches in the middle of the off season. When frankly, and you know, this Dan, who these guys are on August 4th is not who they are on February 4th, different human beings. I say that, I say that 
in a, in almost a loving way. Um, and they would admit it yeah. like, and they're not that they can't be talked to. We talked to them in the middle of February too, but the stress levels are so reduced. Everyone loves their team. They like, you know, they like all their transfers. They're going to have a 10 man rotation, all this kind of stuff. So it's always good to catch up with them uh, in the midst of, of their summers there. And then, you know, they have more of a clear mind to, uh, to answer a lot of those kind of poll questions. So obviously you work closely with, with Gary Parish. Is there one journalist maybe that when you were coming up, you admired, you looked to their work and said, Hey, I'd love to get a chance to work with that person. Or, you know, it's really insightful when you read their work and it kind of spurs creativity on your end. That's a good question. So coming up, um, I will say within, within uh, college basketball, Within college basketball, I would say I probably read Mike DeCourcy as much as anyone when I was like making that transition. I read everyone though, to be honest. Um, uh, but when I was in college, like that's when Andy Katz was doing a ton at ESPN.com. So I would read Andy all the time. Greg Doyle, way back in the day, like ESPN's coverage used to be, it would have like four writers in different parts of the country. So Doyle will always cover, he was in North Carolina at the time. So he'd cover a lot of ACC and like Southeast uh, part of the country there. So those were guys that I read a ton of. Uh, Dan Wetzel um, has been one of, if not my favorite sports writers for like basically like a, a dozen years there. But when I was younger and I would read Sports Illustrated and, you know, uh, Rick Riley was a big time. Gary Smith was huge. Grant Wall back in the day, uh, I read everything and Grant Wall eventually transitioned. He actually, he kind of transitioned to soccer as soon as I got into college basketball. I want to say Grant Wall's like last season covering college basketball was when Butler lost in the title game in 2010. I think he wrote the cover story for that game uh, and then he transitioned into uh, into soccer writing. But there are so many and college basketball media for the most part is pretty, uh, it's, it's pretty great. Um, uh, competitive, yes but very, uh, very cordial. Um, you do have, you do have your gadflies like your Jeff Goodman's. I say that lovingly, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, can't help himself. What do we want? Uh, and he was good. Jeff Goodman was a big reason why, uh, I, you know, in helping me uh, get to where I am. He took me under his wing when he was at Fox sports. I also did freelancing for him. He'd give me, he'd be like, all right, Norlander, I need, uh, I need you to do this. And I'll, I'll just, I'll cut you a hundred dollar check. And sure enough, like, you know, two months later, I'd get that hundred dollars. Yeah, two really months later. It. I like it. Hey, exactly. last question but, before uh, I let you go. Yeah. I know you got uh, probably articles that you're, you got to get ready for a deadline. Give me your final four and who's going to win the national title this year. You want, you want my final four in the first week of September. Are you Everybody ready? does. Because here's the thing is, is, I can hold you accountable for this come February, March, if we come across each other in CBS line of work yeah. and vice versa. If I were to go, you know, put out my final four and I'm completely off, somebody's going to make a comment to me. Oh boy. Uh, I will almost definitely change this for official purposes when we have to publish it to cbssports.com uh, in like seven weeks. All right. Final four. I will go. Hmm. I'm not going to, I'm not going to pick Gonzaga. I'm going to reverse jinx him. Uh, let's see. I will go Houston. I'm feeling a weird final four this season. A lot of quality teams, but I'm feeling like a one seed, a two seed, a three seed, a four seed kind of get there. 
I'll go. I'll go Houston. I will go. I'll go UCLA. I will go Arkansas. And give me Virginia. Virginia has like a three or four seed breaking breaking through. So Houston, Virginia, UCLA, Arkansas. I got to give you a national champion. I'm not going to keep this. I'm just telling you. I'm I'm sharing on the podcast right now. This is not going to be my pick. I'm just telling you. When I do this again, gotcha. it's not going to be my. I have not thought about this. So it, it it's your early September pick, but it's not a hundred percent on record. It's I just, will go with Houston. Rough draft. Houston, yeah, Houston is projected as the best of the four teams that I gave you. We did a candid coaches on that. Who's going to be the best team this season? Houston came in second ahead of the Zags. Carolina won that poll. Houston's going to, I think, have its best offense yet under Kelvin Sampson, and they should, again, be a top-10 defense. I do like the Cougs' chances. They obviously got close last season. Uh, so, yeah, give me uh, give me Houston, which would be incredible. Uh, we talk about how good Mark's done up in Spokane. Obviously, he has. But what Kelvin Sampson has done to a, to a program that was, you know, DOA when he took that job and now they're like reliably in the final four conversation have made it to a final four. It's insane. So yeah, for now, I, there's a ch chance I'll stick with that pick, but I don't know if I will, but for this podcast, I'll give you Houston. Awesome. Well, Hey, I appreciate the time. I look forward to uh, following the rest of the candidate coaches uh, articles that will be coming out. So thanks again. And um, maybe we'll see each other back in New York city at some point this season. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it.